here in the bubble with ESPN's Rachel Nichols. Rachel, how are you? I'm I'm bubblicious, thank you. Yep. <laughs> Saturday morning in the bubble, and we have a little corner of the the resort here. There's like a little corner of ESPN people, and yep. we get on a bus. We kind of move around here. You've been here, what maybe About a month? A month? Yeah. How long have I been here? You lose track of time. I mean, let's be honest. I was losing track of time this entire shutdown, right? How do you differentiate a Tuesday from a Sunday when no one's actually going out of the house to work or school or anything like that? But yes, down here, absolutely. Yeah. One of our colleagues was coming down. Well, Cassie Hubbard, she's Mm -hmm. coming in. And she texted me the other day and said, hey, I'm leaving. What should I bring? And I go, I thought you weren't coming to like... August 7th or something. And I look at my phone and it was August 6th. Yeah. And I go, oh, that's not two weeks from now. That's, no. That's, that's now. There you go. Uh, w- when people ask you, Rachel, what it's like in here, especially to watch the games, because people are watching the games on television. And what I get a lot of, like, you guys aren't hearing the sound in there, right? The players don't hear the piped-in sound. They're not hearing the music, this is just for TV, right? There's a lot of, it seems like people think that we're just sitting in a quiet, empty studio. Well, part of that is because they used the scrimmages to experiment with what was in the gym versus what was on TV. And at the start, in the scrimmages, it really was a lot quieter in the arena. You could hear the squeak of every sneaker. They weren't piping in the crowd noise. They were piping in music, but not crowd noise for the first couple of scrimmages. It was silent at the free throw line to the point of J.J. Redick told me, he hasn't shot free throws without noise. He said, not even at Duke. He said, at Duke, you'd have the student, fa- student section hushing each other. But there was always, he goes, some guy from Maryland yelling at me the other way. And here, for the first week or so of games, they cut the music out for three free throws. And he said he was so unnerved at absolute silence when he was trying. This is a shooter that he looked over at Jamal Crawford on the Nets bench at one point and said, can you, know, can you start heckling me or something? Like, <laughs> come on. And, and that, I think enough players said, it, it's weird when it's completely silent. So they did start piping in some crowd noise and things like that. And it's light. I don't think it's as heavy as it is on TV. But there is no point in the building now where it's complete silence. And it was for the first couple of scrimmages. Yeah, I've told people it feels like you're on a spaceship watching like holograms. Like you have to, <laughs> you're sitting there and you've got the virtual fans in the background and then the benches, and then nothing else around it. Mm-hmm. And you're going, well, that's really James Harden. Right. <laughs> that's definitely Giannis. That's LeBron. But it doesn't seem like it should be them, but it is them. For the first few games, when you're at, you know, because we are at almost floor level or floor level, depending on the arena, but we're basically right there on the same level as the players. And for the first few games to me, it felt like we were actually inside a video game. Video game graphics are so good right now Mm -hmm. that it really felt like with the video board surrounding us, it felt like I'm like, oh, I'm in Tron now. Like, this is what's happening. But I think it's remarkable, and I'm wondering if it's the same for people watching on TV, how quickly it feels normal. And maybe that's an analogy for all kinds of things in our country that have been normalized. But it goes pretty quick. I'm watching the games now. And I'm not thinking, oh, I'm not seeing so-and-so in the, the, the super fan in the stands or any of that. Do you feel like when you're watching, do you almost get lost in the game being normal now? It, it does. You, you, like you said, you get used to it. And I've watched, I'm obviously watching games in the arena, but I'm also watching games back mm-hmm. in my room. You, you, you're not there all the time. And, and so, yeah, it does. I, I guess it's like anything else. It's funny when we first talked about 
Orlando and playing here. And the, the vision I had, I've seen games in, I guess what's called, it used to be called the Milk House. I guess they call it the Field House now. Mm-hmm. I've seen college games in there. And I remember being here, I guess it was a Thanksgiving tournament. And I stayed a couple of days later. I remember I'd come down with my family and I knew there were a bunch of NBA scouts and GMs at one of the college things. So I stayed a couple extra days. And so I remember watching like a Rhode Island, whoever they were playing game and it was empty and it was like, and the seats were largely empty and you're going, so I'm picturing, all right, an NBA game with all these empty seats in the background, not, this was at the very beginning before you realized how they were going to frame the court and that you weren't going to see any of that. And it is from what I first imagined because of my experiences of having been in there to what it's become, it, it is pretty remarkable. I think it's brilliant. I really do. I mean, given the limitations of what you can and can't do, um, I, th- I think it's pretty incredible what the sight lines they've created for fans to be able to see. And the virtual fan thing is so funny. You and I talked a few months ago, the last pod I did with you about what were they going to do, right? And what Korean baseball had done. And now what we see American baseball is doing with the cardboard cutouts in some cases and whatever. The virtual fans thing took a minute for everyone to get their bearings on what it was. But the fact that you can have celebrity cameos at NBA games still, which is an essential sort of part of the constellation of what makes the NBA kind of glamorous, that you can figure out a way to do that in Orlando in the middle of a pandemic, it's pretty brilliant. So we're almost at a playoffs in this bubble. No positive tests. The basketball's been pretty good. I think it's going to get better. You start to see the intensity of the games. There's more on the line now. With, especially with Memphis losing Jaron Jackson and they're fighting to just hold on to the eighth seed. Uh, Portland, San Antonio, Phoenix still trying to th- – those three mm-hmm. – Phoenix had further to come from behind. But yet, when you talk to people around the league, a lot of the focus is still on next season. Yeah. And what next season is going to look like. I wrote about that today and laid out a lot of a lot of the brainstorming that's going on and I think sort of the first, there's two, I think there's two things that people really want to know. I think internally, externally, mm-hmm. when does the season start? Right now it's penciled in for December 1. And, and is there going to be a point this season where there are going to be fans? And I think both those questions are still, I think they're, they're unanswered. I think, again, I think you, December. And do you have to do it in a bubble? Or and you have to can do, you it do it in a bubble? Even if there's no fans, could you do it in home markets or would you have to do it in a bubble exclusively? Yeah, and, and if you're going to do it in home markets with no fans, you're going to probably do it in a practice facility. Mm-hmm. You're going to do it in a venue that just, number one, costs less to have to open up. Mm-hmm. You can dress it up for TV a little easier, perhaps. But then you're asking your players to live the way the baseball players are living or NFL players living in communities that where there's no in many cases, no handle at all on the virus or, or, and Michelle Roberts is on the record as saying, if we see then what we're seeing now, we, we need to be back in a bubble. And then the bubble conversation right now, I'm told is more than one bubble, um, kind of maybe like a, almost a pod idea and nobody in a, no team in a bubble for longer than a month. So you might go in for a month, a bunch of teams play each other. Everyone goes home, you go back to your family, mm-hmm. you go back to practice, and then you move on to the next pod, uh, the next group of 
teams. You, you plow through a bunch more games with the idea that at some point in the season, can you get fans in arenas? That's the most important thing to owners because of the impact it has on revenue. And, and what they've said to me is if we're going to push back from December 1 or push it back significantly, the reason to do so is we think there will be a point where we'll be able to get people in arenas. I have so many questions about this. We've been talking about this for weeks. I am fascinated by what they're going to do for next season. I think a lot of people are because this season feels like, okay, we have a plan. And we don't know how it's going to work out, but we do know the bubble seems to be working at least now. We see the teams. We see the structure. We know how it's going to go. But let's take the mini pod theory, right, if they did that. It took about a month for them, and the NBA was so smart in the way they managed coming into this bubble, for to start testing players. Remember, they started testing them the first week in July. And that is where the net had to be to catch guys who were positive and didn't even know it, right? Those guys had to be home and quarantine for a minimum of 14 days. It took some of them longer, right? Then by the time they get to the bubble, they still caught, the net still caught two people who made it all the way here to Orlando and were quarantining in their rooms and had positive tests and then had to be isolated. And then you basically got to the point where you could get to zero positive tests for players in the bubble. But it took about four weeks to run everyone through the cycle of testing and quarantining and then having teams have their full phalanx of players. If you're talking about mini pods, right, where you have players in for four weeks and then out, I believe you had in your story the idea that it would be, what, two weeks out? Well, if someone goes home to their family and – even if they're not reckless, you don't have to be reckless to, to c- catch this virus. So they go to home to their family and their kid had a play date with someone or something like that. And 10 days into those 14 days, they become positive but don't know it yet. And then they're showing up for the next pod and get tested and, and what? And I mean, by the second pod, I can see half the teams having significant player loss or players in quarantine. And maybe that's just going to be reality from now on. But even that seems to be an issue. I don't know how they're going to do it. You know, teams are modeling all kinds of different scenarios internally. What would it look like in our arena with 2,000 fans or 4,000 or 8,000? Are there points where we could bring in, maybe it ends up being people who sit courtside and pay the most money, the people in the suites, because in the end, it's going to be, you're going to try to raise as much money as you can off of however many seats people you can get in. You're going to make it like this exclusive experience there's really no other way to do it if you're just trying to but in so many markets it's not up to the nba right it is not going to be there are so many governors right there's so many governors who have already said we are not allowing mass gatherings at sporting events and i think even two thousand people qualifies as a mass gathering to them in the northeast all of those governors have been very strict about what they've done and by the way it's worked the coronavirus numbers are lower there than anywhere else i live in california where several nba teams are the governor of california back in april said no more fans at sporting events for the entire calendar year. And then the one other idea that I think is, I think lowest on the, well, there's a lot of them, are neutral sites. What if, let's say you're in LA, Washington, New York, you cannot have people in arena. And there's more cities than that. I'm just naming three. But there's a city where you could. Right. It may not be an NBA city, but it may be a metropolitan enough location that says, no, no, we could... We could accommodate fans. Maybe it's Vegas. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Nevada. Maybe it's... Now, again, 
to think that that there will be places in this country that can put thousands and thousands of people in an arena within the next year, mm, harder to imagine. But that's, again, one of the – they're trying to roll through every possibility. That's another one of them. But what's the demand then too, right? If you're only in one neutral site, people – and you, even if there was a way to put fans, even if you got a state to let you do it, for the first week, maybe, you'd have enough people who are in that state wanting to come to games. But at some point, you're not really going to have fans traveling in for those games in the same way because there's so many travel restrictions in yeah. places. And a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not getting on an airplane right now or that kind of thing. If you want to have an 82-game season with 30 teams in one site because you can have fans in there, what's the fan demand going to be once you get to game 42, you know? Yep. And – I think teams now, you talk to them and they're really struggling with the idea of you keep telling people no fans in arenas, no, because it's reality. No fans, no fans. It's not a great, most places you are really trying to market your organization to sell tickets. Sellouts are not automatic mm -hmm. in anywhere but a few places. And you have an audience that you're chipping away at here. And that's why the teams who aren't playing now, the Atlantas and Clevelands and Minnesotas and Detroits, who need to be in the news. They need to be have a presence in their market. If they're all rebuilding teams, some have more to sell than others to their fan base. The idea for them, not just that they can't get their team together and they see the Wizards and Suns with younger rosters here getting training camp and games and like what an advantage this is. But in the, you know, the Chicago's who aren't in this, like not just that you can't get your players organize and in the gym you're just further distance from, from your fans paying customers who just not going to assume they're all going to come back in a for the following season it, it's a lot of trouble for the league that's why i am concerned about this idea of let's push it off let's push it off because i think what we've learned in this country this year with this virus is the end is not as in sight as we might have thought it was at the beginning i think that when we were all sitting in our houses at the end of march the assumption was, well, I mean, certainly by the fall, we'll have football back. Football sitting there being like, oh, yeah, the NBA and Major League Baseball have to figure this out, but, but it'll be fine by the fall. And, of course, that's not the case. So I love reading every story about a promising vaccine. It is literally the best news of my day when one of those pops into my timeline. But we're also being told by medical experts that even once a vaccine comes out, the first crack at a vaccine is not usually the best one. And the distribution for vaccines take an entire calendar year, if not more, to sort of cycle through a country. So when I hear the, oh, well, the league wants to start December 1st, but maybe they push it back to February again in your story today about the idea of, I think, Martin Luther King Day at the end of January or, or the end of February with, around the All-Star typical break or something, I think Banking on the fact that it's going to be better by January or February does not seem to be in line with the news I'm following right now. And so I do worry, to your point about presence of mind, not just for those eight markets, but for the 29 yeah. markets and 30 teams, is if you just kind of keep endlessly pushing back until, quote, we can have fans, you could go a year without basketball. And I think that would be mm -hmm. so detrimental to the league as a whole. I know teams, I mean, you know the financials better than me. Like, I don't know how teams could survive that at some no, level. No, you're going to see tremendous layoffs. There's been some. I think you would see mass layoffs in organizations. They go a year without fans and without that revenue for most. Um, you'll see dramatic cuts, which, you know, the average fan may or may not care about. But the financial impact on organizations will be dramatic in how they operate and – 
you know, back to the vaccine, I know the league has told teams if there is a vaccine sometime mm-hmm. end of 2020 or beginning of 2021, if something is, you know, expect a year for the distribution, like you said. And so that doesn't just mean magically we're going to. So those are all all factors. And then the Olympics and how the Olympics plays into in Tokyo in July. Part of the thought of starting December 1 was it got the season over in time mm-hmm. for players to go play in the Olympics. One other idea they have brought up and is on the whiteboard. I don't know if there's literally a whiteboard since probably nobody's in the office there, but <laughs> maybe in Adam Silver's house. But if the season were to start later, do something similar to the NHL, which was take a break, an Olympic break, and then come back and finish. You know, for a couple reasons, you'd allow your players who to go play in the Olympics. Also, it allows you to not have to go up against the Olympics for television and um, will or even beat Olympics 2021. That's the other. I was going to say, I'm not like, sure there's going to be an Olympics. I mean, you and I have covered a bunch of Olympics and we know the scale of that and the idea of bringing not just all the athletes, but all the team people and the coaches and trainers in from all of these different countries all over the world to basically have what would turn into a virus summit um, and then have them bring that all back to their countries. And then fans, the Olympics really runs on t- ticket sales. So if that, you know, if I don't know what the state of Japan is going to be and whether they're going to allow fans in the stands, but that would obviously be part of the Olympics. But even if there is an Olympics and even if the NBA figured out a way to take a break, again, you are dealing with, it's not just a break of, oh, we're going to let the players go home for two weeks and the pot idea, or, oh, we're going to let them go to the Olympics for a month. You then have to have that re-ramp up of anyone who went has to, A, get back into the country, which we've seen is now a border problem because of different countries closing borders because of coronavirus. And then do they get tested when they come back and how many of them have caught something and then how many of them have to be put in isolation? When you're trying to plan a calendar of, oh, we're going to take a break for X, you then have to basically add a month to everything to re-ramp up for a safe environment. How much do you think what baseball or the NFL does this fall and whether they have acceptable losses, quote unquote, of like, oh, hey, 14 Marlins players got it, but we're still going. We're not shutting down the league when 14 Marlins members organization got it. And if the American public is okay with that over time with baseball and football, how do you think that's going to influence the NBA with how tightly sealed they feel like they need their bubble to be? My sense all along, Rachel, is that the league has... I think it has, and the Players Association, and, and that's where it gets back to, I think, when you compare the NBA to baseball and the NFL, the biggest difference in how I think these decisions are made, it is, it is far less of an ad- adversarial relationship mm-hmm. with the league and their player association versus the NFL and baseball, which are, I think baseball is extremely adversarial. I think football, you might know better, I think you do know better, somewhere in between mm-hmm. baseball and the NBA. I don't think it's quite as bad as um, – it ha- It certainly has its moments. Maybe it is as bad, but they're certainly not good. And I think that impacts how the NBA and, and the players work together on what they allow. And I think there's more – I hear it all the time, and we're seeing it in other sports. And I talk to team people whose research and data – you know, they're really concerned about the long-term impact of getting the virus on people's bodies, on the lungs, on the heart, whatever. They, they don't have that information. Sure. You're starting to see some instances 
that are very alarming to people in sports. And so this idea of, well, I'll just get the virus and then I'll be immune. And there isn't that attitude. It'll be be two weeks and I'll be fine. It isn't that attitude. And I think so. I don't sense there's this cavalier. Now, individually, are there players who I think in some instances thought that way, think that way? Yeah. But just like there are people in society who think that way, I don't think. But I do think there's concerns. And so I think there's less... Yeah, I do think that the NBA as a whole, when you count the players and the league, have less, I think, less of a willingness to just have an acceptable level of of loss of personnel over the course of a season. And I think barring a dramatic turnaround in this country, I have a hard time seeing them trying to play this league outside of a bubble. And remember, too, basketball is a sport where everyone's breathing on each other the most. They're shouting within distance of each other. Baseball at least has the advantage of, hey, we're outside and guys aren't banging into each other in the same way all the time. But I am curious, again, it goes back to what becomes normalized, right? What, what do people just kind of deal with and accept? And if we go through an entire baseball season here and then start up an NFL season here where teams seem to be okay if there's a rash of eight players who get it and then either they cancel that game because they can't put a baseball roster together or they don't cancel that game because they can play an NFL game without eight of their guys. And then that just becomes a normal thing and acceptable thing in sports. I wonder how that impacts the NBA's thinking, even if they are a league that has historically, even historically cared more about their players and certainly now have the best relationship. I mean, the, the stuff you did with Jeff Basson on NBA versus baseball was so eye-opening. Um, but even then, I just it's, again, what's normal in this country, and every day it changes. Yeah, and I think for the league now, there's a lot of negotiations that have to go on about next season between the Players Association and the NBA. A great deal of it hasn't really started. They're, they wanted to get through the beginning of the restart. They wanted to get off kind of keep their focus on getting through and, and, and be on solid footing within the bubble. But those conversations are going to start, I think, more in earnest now. I mean, we're not that far off. Back into this bubble, Rachel, mm-hmm. I think prior to when this was being laid out to the players and the teams and what everyone's concerns were about how everyone would handle this. What's been your sense around players mm-hmm. about, I think there was some fear of guys were going to be climbing the walls in here, that people were going to just be so frayed by the how contained it was. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't been in, there's a long way to go in here. What, what have you seen with guys in terms of how they're handling the limitations of being in a bubble and the environment around this place. It's kind of interesting, right? I mean, everybody out there can make the same designations within their friend circle, um, especially in the first few months where of the pandemic where everybody was really in their homes. There was a huge split between your friends who had kids and your friends who didn't, right? My friends who have kids were constantly like, oh my God, I'm trying to teach eighth grade math to my own child while also working, while also doing this, and I can't go outside. My friends who had little kids um, were, were climbing the walls because the kids were contained in a space and they can't go to the playground anymore or anything. My friends who didn't have children 
We're like, oh, what did you binge this week? What, 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 what did you do? Whatever, you know, that sort of thing. So I think you're seeing the same thing in the bubble where you have players who are in their early 20s who live in an apartment anyway, who basically, even when they're back in their home market, live in the apartment, hang out with some other guys on the team and maybe some other random friends and, you know, who they've met in that market or whatever and sit around and play video games. Well, the bubble's better for them. This is actually better. They don't have to worry about getting themselves from A to B. NBA players' lives are already pretty catered. Now they're completely catered. Like literally from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, someone's planned and thought of everything for them. They get to hang out with a bunch of their friends, not just on their teams, but other teams too now. They can go anywhere they want to other hotels and whatever. Um, The Lakers have this Madden football tournament going on where each guy put in, you know, a few hundred bucks and they picked a team to be for the whole season. They have, it's complex. They have bye weeks. They have a whole schedule. I believe they're in week seven, quote unquote quote of their tournament. Um, you know, so for some of those younger guys, I think quite, you know, except for some of the very specific, gee, they can't be around women or the public in the same way. But I think for a lot of those guys, it's actually for the 80% of their lives, it's a great setup for them. For the older guys with families, it is very impactful and it is hard. And I was talking to, I think it was Kyle Corver about, you know, I said to him, oh, you know, that's a team, Milwaukee, you know, that's a team that intends to be here for a while. And, you know, are you, are you going to bring your family, right? And he said, you know, I, I don't know. He's like, the, the, the policy for families is that you've got to come into the state, you've got to quarantine in Florida in a strange place that you don't know, not at home, and then you have to come in here and quarantine in a single hotel room for, I think, four days. He's like, my wife with young kids... And, and she's in a single hotel room with the children and they can't go anywhere and they can't go out and do anything. I, the process to bring families into the bubble is so stringent. And I understand why, but I've heard players say, I don't know if I'm going to bring my family in. And then that's a very different situation for them. And I think it's very hard. So those guys, I think, are feeling the impact of the bubble in a different way. I was talking to a GM about this the other day, and he thinks that once teams start to be eliminated and they see guys leaving, that it'll be interesting to see the impact on the guys who are staying. And I think it's going to get, I think it's already, there was a Toronto Boston game the other day that was, it was chippy and it was, it was a physical game. It was a, it was, it's what you're going to see as we get in the playoffs. And there's a lot of curiosity about, I think so far it's been pretty collegial Mm -hmm. in the, you know, rival, like their rival teams in the The same same hotel, hotel, they get on the same elevators, they're coming through it's going to be different when you're in a seven game series with somebody and something happens because something's going to happen. And now you're going back to the hotel. Now the environment and Oh, by the way, the referees are all living among you. Yes. And the referees are here. And you know, like all the GMs are going on like these speed walks around the campus or coaches get out as a staff just to get out Mm -hmm. and clear their head and referees are there. And, it's going to be a different environment. I think as we get through, as, as the first group of teams leave and then we get into the postseason, I think the feel around this place is, is going to dramatically change. I, I feel it in some spots already. Was it Kyle Lowry who shouted out his room number to someone the other day on the court and said, you can catch me here if you're, the, if you're that interested in it? Yeah. Um, and also all the teams are going to be moving into the same hotel. Yeah. So as they advance, 
Um, right now, we're spread around three Disney properties, and that was part of the arrangement with Disney, that Disney would close those properties to the public, but obviously Disney's not making the money from the public on those properties. So as the teams and number of teams here contract, the teams that are in some of the, quote, outer hotels are going to come into this main hotel that's here. Um, and that's going to be a whole thing because you're going to have the eight teams remaining by the time you get to the second round all staying in the same place in the same hallways and, and all of that stuff. I do think once when you say, oh, teams are going to see other teams leaving, I think the whole, look, we had one, two, three Cancun when people weren't yeah. trapped in a place outside of their families and friends. I think if a team gets down in a playoff series and it doesn't look surmountable, that pep talk from the it's coach about, hey, we're going to come back yeah. is going to be a lot harder, right? Yeah, and that's where I think all along down here, the teams who came here with purpose, who said, we have a real purpose here, mm -hmm. um, and we ha or we have leadership. Because there's some teams who have purpose who I'm not sure have great leadership and vice versa. But if you have both, I think you have a better chance of, of pushing through. Look at the Blazers, right? That is a team where Damian Lillard said throughout the shutdown, and he caught a little flack for it at one point, but he meant what he said, and he was right. He's like, I don't want to go down there if we don't even have a chance to win, if we're just window dressing. If I don't have a path to the playoffs, if I don't have something to play for, why am I going down there, right? And eventually they came to this decision about the playing games and it's never going to be fair to everyone, but at least this was the most fair to the most people. And they felt going in, fine. All right, you're giving us a lane. I at least have a path to get there. The leadership on that team is strong. The purpose is strong. And they, by the way, think we could pull a first round playoff upset, even though it might be an eight and a one. Um, because you've got veterans. Yeah, that's not a normal eighth seed with the right. room. And if, and if tell you what, that team, if Trevor Ariza had been here and mm -hmm. he had another wing player, um, they, they'd be even more. I mean, right now they're going to be dangerous. Gary Trent Jr. has been sure. kind of a revelation here. And, and now as we get into this last week of the seeding games, Rach, and you saw it yesterday, and I wrote about this today, some of the teams who were competing for the, to get in the playoff, they weren't thrilled to see the Jazz sit everybody in a game against what would have been really an eminently winnable game against the Spurs. Spurs mm -hmm. are in that group, and the Jazz sit everybody. And then they play the Spurs again the last game next Thursday in the seeding game. And you wonder at that point if a team like the Jazz, who's solidified, sure. how many of their guys are going to play then. Oh, well, the Bucks rest Giannis toward the end, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But especially against when you've got all these teams who said we're going to come down, we're told we're getting a, a fair chance to, to compete to get in the playoffs – and then the team you're competing with just gets a freebie that you're going to see because you're going to see more guys sitting but, this week. Now, the Blazers benefit today because Kawhi doesn't play, right? There's, but, but that part of it is you're going to hear more talk about that this week. Yeah, but my answer to that is, yeah, what's new, right? right. Playoff races every year come down to a couple of games That's at the right. end for a couple, either if it's whether seeding or guys getting into the playoffs. And there's always teams that benefit from toward the end of the season, the teams that are safely in often rest their guys or rest their people. And even in a completely normal regular season, right. you have teams who are competing for the same playoff spot where one team lucks out and they're playing the team right. that's resting their guys. I think the argument, the counter to that is this was supposed to be different. And this was a different scenario. Like we all accept that we finish out our seasons. We didn't. We weren't finishing out our seasons. We all came down. We thought we had you know, kind of this playing field. And so I think there's more sensitivity to it because what you had to go through to be back and play. And so again, it is 
This is exactly right. It's exactly how this goes down the stretch of any season. And by the way, if it's, I'm Milwaukee yeah. or the Clippers, I would look at any of those teams, or the Jazz in this case, who are saying, oh, this isn't fair. Why aren't you fully participating? And saying, I'm not wrecking my team for your benefit, right? I think my guy needs to rest going in the playoffs. So yes, I, I'm all for the sense of fairness and everyone giving it a shot. But when I feel like it actually starts to damage my team's playoff chances, I'm not going to do that. And I don't blame them, right? If they feel, I'm, again, I'm just pulling this out of the air, but if they feel they have to rest Giannis for the final game of the regular season or whatever, they're not going to not do it because San Antonio needs to feel like they had a fair shot against whoever. I mean, they, they want to be sharp for the playoffs and it could be anyone. Yeah, there's going to be, yeah, I think the camaraderie of, hey, we're all in this together. It's important for the league. We've got to think about something bigger than ourselves. We've got to get down there. We've got to, like, our league depends on this. I think that's going to get chipped away out of here and self-interest starts yeah. to drive Starts to drive it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. As, as is expected. And by the way, fans complain about players being too collegial now, right? Oh, it's not like back in the 90s, you know, whatever. Well, you know, they're, they're only collegial up to a point. <laughs> yeah. Those are going to be fun. We're, we're, listen, we're almost at the playoffs. We're, a week, you know, a week. Mm-hmm. I lose track of dates. Let's see. Yeah, August, I was going to say, August who knows 8. what day it is, Yeah, we've got, about, we've got about a week, Thursday, Friday, the end of the seeding games, and then into the playoffs. Um this was fun, Rach. Yep. Thanks for jumping in. You've got another week or so here yep. and then refuel at home. And then come back. See so the it's, kids, yeah, and so I'm, I'm in again. and out. Yep, absolutely. Yep. But it's, it's fascinating. And I will say, as a last thing, being here, you have a great awareness of just how complicated this was to pull off that every decision begets 10 more decisions. Okay, we're going to bring in food. Well, how are we bringing in food? Who's bringing the food? Who's cooking the food? Are they doing it in the, quote, safe zone, in a separate zone? Are they bringing it in? I did a piece on the mailroom here, which yeah. like, it's a mailroom, right? It shouldn't be that complicated. It's really complicated how packages and everything are getting in here. So the scope of what the NBA pull, has pulled off here, even as we start to worry about next season, it is worth noting that it, when you are inside the bubble, it is tremendous. It is so impressive. And it, it says something about the league. Yeah, absolutely. Rach, thanks. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, I'll see you around here soon. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. Be sure to listen to new and updated episodes of The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhurst, and the ESPN Daily hosted now by Pablo Torre. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.